Dr. Jackson. If you don't mind. Treating my wound. I'm an archaeologist. I know, but you're also a doctor. Of archaeology. <sighs> Never mind. Welcome back to Stargate Weekly. I'm Stuart Hollis. And I'm Thad Haight. This week we're talking about Season 3, Episode 7, Dead Man Switch. I don't have a joke, I'm sorry. You just had had your finger on the trigger and then let it go, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, this week we are joined by our good friend Steve. Hey, how's it going? If you listen to our other podcast, Delta Flyer... Uh, that you may remember Steve from an earlier episode that we recorded with him on that show. Yep. I don't remember the, I don't remember which episode it was. I want to say it was Elogium. Yeah, I think that sounds right. It, it's hard to tell because it was also that other one I, I sat in on. No, it was definitely an Elogium because I remember watching it with you. Yes, that's right. That's right. Okay. All right. So it originally aired on the 6th of August, 1999, and was directed by... It was directed by Martin Wood and written by Robert C. Cooper. Imagine that. In other languages, it's pretty much, it's almost universally called The Bounty Hunter. Although in Czech, it's called Gould Hunter. See, that sounds like a rad Stargate spinoff. Gould Hunter? Yeah. yeah. Or like a Stargate video game or something. Like if Stargate was made today, it'd be like the mobile game. Yeah, or a Sci-Fi Channel original movie. <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah. True. Our synopsis from TV Guide. A ruthless bounty hunter takes members of the Stargate team into custody. At least they're not a crew this time. At least they're not the crew this time. But it's like, members? It sounds as if, like, one went free. So, the Stargate wiki goes, has, SG-1 is captured by Eris Bach, a bounty hunter working for Sokar, who proves to be almost impossible to escape from. That should be from which to escape. He forces them to help him capture an alleged Goa'uld hiding on the planet, but SG-1 soon discovers they are about to capture a Tok'ra. No, they only discover he's a Tok'ra after they capture him. Yeah, these these summaries are not usually too on point. No, there's usually something wrong. I'm still loving the, it's up to Hammond alone to save the team. <laughs> Hammond of Texas is a mighty warrior. That's right. Mm, it's true. So our episode opens, and we're back in the forest again, as it should be with Stargate. And we are in the forest. We have we do not show the Stargate. In fact, we do not see a Stargate all episode, and this is the very first episode in which we do not see a Stargate. Huh, no kidding. Huh? Must have blown all their budget on that uh, really nice CGI transport ship. <laughs> mm. I mean, that, it holds up, actually. It did, yeah, I was surprised. That, um, it was really good. 
honestly, the worst part with this transport, the worst thing that graphic-wise that we saw with that wasn't the ship itself. It's the scene where Jack and Daniel are trying to get to the ship and try to remember the word, and then it cuts to inside the ship and it shows the doors opening. Right. For whatever reason, the shot outside the door, which is clearly like silk, like green screened onto the other set, is ridiculously low res. Oh, I didn't notice that. So you see like pixelated Jack and Daniel as they walk into the ship. Huh. Yeah, and then and then once they walk into the ship, they get depixelated and back into focus yeah. and everything. It, it was it was kind of strange. Yeah. I guess it could have been that I already watched this on fairly low resolution to begin with, so I probably wouldn't notice. I'm not an HD purist. Well, that's good, because SG-1 isn't in HD until season 8. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, more like I watch it in tiny, like, youtube size screen. Fair enough. Ah. So, speaking of the ship, this is the first time that we see a Teltec, or cargo ship. It will appear many times again in the series. Uh, yeah, something that I thought was interesting was that Teal'c goes on about how I've never seen one with a cloaking device, and then like, I know, from now right? on, basically, it just seems like every cargo ship. Yeah, seems to. I have had one. that noted. I noted that as well because yeah, they all seem to have them. It was a later model year edition. Premium yeah, apparently. Package. Ooh. Yeah. Also, with rich the, Corinthian with leather. Yes. <laughs> Soft Corinthian leather. So. Not only are we back in the forest, but we are back to the floppy hat. We are back to the floppy hat. Ban Daniel has gone away. For now. I know that she, I know that Ban Daniel shall return. Ban Daniel will return in Thunderball. I kind of liked Ban Daniel. Like, the way he's wearing yeah. the floppy cap. Okay. Uh, We're done. Sorry, yeah, sorry folks. We, we had some te- technical difficulties, <laughs> and Steve, we lost Steve on the call. And we will never have him back on the show again. Yeah, it's like a weird Skype thing. Like, we can never connect to him ever again. Skype will not let us call him, yeah. No, no, it's weird. (laughs) Damn, he hacked through. I think it's more just that I'm used to seeing those floppy caps worn differently. Like, the the rim is usually a lot more creased, not kind of ironed out. And it's weird to see that. It's off-putting. And so, kind of by comparison, the bandana looks better to me. So, Daniel likes to cares about the appearance of his hat, and he irons his hat. What's the deal? Literally, no one wears their boonie caps like that. <laughs> but someone does. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> no one who matters. Oh, people who have actual prices on their head would yeah. not wear them that way. Oh, he beat me to it, as I was about to say. Come on, he's only wearing <laughs> half a day's ration. <laughs> Yeah, so they're walking through the forest, and they're looking for a downed UAV. They find it. they find it. Yeah, and then Daniel uh, promptly boops his snoot on a force field. And they quickly determine that it's a force field that covers all of them. When I first saw it, based on Carter and Daniel's positioning, it sure looked like Teal'c was outside the range of it. It did kind of look that way, I guess. Because he was kind of back a ways, but... eh. Oh, well. You know, especially based on the synopsis, he could have been the team member who didn't get taken into custody. Mmm. Oh, well. Right. So, Jack uh, fires his gun to see if it covers them all around, and it does. And this is when a guy in a mask comes out and says their weapons won't go through the shield, but his will. Yeah, and his weapon looks an awful lot like the anti-Ritu weapon, which was the, whatever it was called, like the something, something 
rod, which was weird. Like the fact that it was like the T E R maybe. T E R sounds right. Uh, yeah, and then like the R stood for rod for some reason. And it's the only time that the yes the trans phase eradication rod. Yes. The only time that we hear a Gould acronym. Or perhaps Tokra acronym, but yeah. Yeah. Yes, it did look like a T-E-R. I mean, I'm pretty sure, in fact, that it was the same prop. Well, with like a a little bit of kit bashing going on, because it had like an extra well, sure. couple of bits on, uh, glued onto it or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then theme. Well, first we find out that, hey, they're famous. Well, fancy that. We're famous. No, I think we have the theme before we find out that they're famous. Whatever. They're famous. They are. Yeah. So, speaking of the theme, um, something I picked up on, and maybe maybe I'm just not hearing it right, but did they, like, spend all their music budget on the theme? Because it seems like everything else is MIDI music. Am I hearing that correctly? Like, I, I've started, I've been watching a few episodes lately, and it just seems like all the background music sounds like MIDI, and not actual instruments. And it's actually starting to get to me. I'm not sure what you're hearing there. They definitely do have the use the same background music all the time, but it doesn't sound like a MIDI to me. Huh, okay. I wonder if it's just that one horn. I don't know. There's one instrument I feel like they overuse, and I swear it just makes it sound like it's all MIDI music in the background. Huh. Yeah, they, I mean, they do use a lot of unless horn. Unless you're talking about our po- podcast theme, in which case, yes, that is a MIDI. No, but music that does sound akin to that. So I don't know. I, I have kind of bad hearing, so maybe it's just that. But it did. It what? was something I first picked up on on this episode. I don't know why. I don't think I noticed the music in this episode at all. I did not notice a lot of music in this episode. I think I've started doing like you, Thad, and kind of <laughs> tuning it out, because it's very repetitive. A mm, little bit. Yes, it's very repetitive. A little bit. Yes, it's yeah, very repetitive. Very rep- <laughs> a little bit. So he captures our heroes, takes them to, like, an open clearing. And says, tells them to get in, and Jack is like, get in what? Yes. I was confused, like, I was, not confused, but kind of surprised that he called it gear and not equipment or some other word that isn't sort of like a, you know, earthen slang. Earthen. (laughs) Yes. But isn't, aren't all were but like they're speaking in english they're all earthen words i mean uh, yeah it just felt weird instead of the word mm. equipment that's mm. all okay we're never going to okay. resolve as to why they're speaking english we are in fact never going to resolve as to why they're speaking english oh right. so that that is never actually dealt with it just kind of assumed away i couldn't remember i do not believe it is ever explained okay yeah like on any of the and it isn't in, like occasionally, you know, you'll have instances where Daniel needs to step in to try to figure out the language and translate, etc. And that happens on the other shows, Atlantis and Universe as well, where there's there is a language barrier. But nine times out of ten, they speak English, and there is no explanation as to why. Yep. Yeah. So I, I mean, I blazed through the whole series, but it's been it's been years, and this is kind of actually. This was a good way for me to jumpstart back into the series. So there's a lot of stuff I'm not going to remember. I've actually watched like six episodes, six, seven, since Dead Man's Switch. I've been watching at least like once and once a night. So there's a lot of stuff I just can't remember. And I couldn't remember if they ever dealt with in like episode one or two, or series, season one or two with like a throwaway line about a universal translator or something. 
Not that I can recall, and I think that we would have called it out and remembered. Like, it was in my head that in a very early episode, like, they go up to aliens, and Daniel's like, Jack, they're not gonna speak English, and then they do. But, in our rewatch, that has not happened, so I'm wondering if I imagined that. Well, I know, I mean, I must have imagined that. Hmm. Sure. So they get taken into what we find out is a Goa'uld cargo vessel. They haven't taken to calling it a cargo ship yet, which is what they'll do nope. pretty much going forward. Yeah, they also don't call it a Teltac, which they almost never do, but that's the actual gold name for it. I don't know if I knew that. It doesn't happen much. Usually they just say cargo ship, but it will uh, actually later this season, they'll call it a Teltac. Because, you know, because there's the Hatak, which is the mothership, which has a Peltac, which is the... Bridge. Uh, right. And then they do have a name for the, like, Gould Bombers or whatever. Oh, the... Oh, yeah, they have a name. That I think also ends in tech. I think it does. Oh, what is that? I, I want to say Ashrak, but I know that's wrong. No, no, no. no that, that Those are the assassins. Yeah. Anyway, you can work on that in the background while I keep talking about what happens in the episode. Alkesh. Alkesh, thank you. Which is, they get thrown into the cargo hold. Then their captor, Oris Bach, leaves. So they try to figure out a way to escape if they can. And this is also where Sam points out that he's not a ghouled. And Jack's like, And... But, so, therefore... I felt like Jack had a uh, especially large number of, uh, I don't know, just... He was extra Jack-isms. witty this episode. Or Jackisms, I guess. There were a lot of Jackisms. Um, I think, honestly, that's what I enjoyed most about this episode, was kind of Jack's running commentary. Well, I mean, that's what I enjoy most about a lot of episodes. Oh, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Always not quite breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like everyone on the team was really on point on this episode. Like yeah. this is, like this is just like th- this would be a great episode to introduce someone to Stargate to like whet their appetite and be like, see this, see this. It could be like this all the time. I mean, not the first two seasons, but it could be like this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like this is pretty much peak SG one. So it's interesting. Uh, my first watch through, I actually felt like this was a decent premise that. It's kind of wasted. Um, like, it was, eh, it started strong, but eh. But I watched it again, and apparently I missed some significant plot points. I must have been zoned out or something. Um, so kind of, I almost did like a 180 on my opinion. It wouldn't say peak SG-1, but after the second watch, I was like, oh, okay, this is actually a pretty decent episode. Okay, I don't mean like this is necessarily the best episode of SG One. Oh, it yeah, is yeah, quintessential yeah. SG One. Yeah, oh, there yeah. we go. That's what I'm getting. Yes, yeah, I'd say close. I'd say close. Uh, but then again, as I said, it's been years since I've watched the rest, so I can't exactly remember what's in you know rest of season three going forward. That's fair. If this was like if if Adam Scott's character from Secret Life of Walter Mitty was here, this would be the quintessence that he was looking for. <laughs> Mmm. Nice. Thank you. Sorry, I haven't seen the movie. Just heard the music. Oh, the music is so good. And the oh man, you should really see the movie. Oh man, the movie is great. It looked good. In fact, I think you guys had it on in the background a couple times while I was visiting, or at least once, and I just didn't catch all of it. Have you ever seen Stranger Than Fiction? Yes, I actually really like that movie. Right. So, like the same sort of like. <laughs> weirdness 
and like realism adjacent that Stranger Than Fiction has, so does Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It, yeah, but it, but I don't know how strict something has to be to actually introducing magic in order to make it magic realism. Mm. I don't know. There's some highfalutin English definition of it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know what it is. But uh, yeah, the the banter in this episode was on points. Oh yeah, so I was laughing quite a bit. Our heroes are still trying to figure out a way to escape the cargo hold and the planet when Oris, Oris, Orin, Oris, when Oris Bach, Eris, Eris Bach, yeah, cool. When Eris Bach returns. Teal'c is going to surprise him at the door, but Eris Bach is all over that plan. He's, he's bleeding. Yes, he's been wounded. And he takes off his helmet, and he reveals that he is... Flash Gordon. You know, now that we have been introduced to our first non-regular on the show, like, properly, I can safely tell you that Sam Jones was not on the Dead Zone. Okay. What about the guy who plays the Mark Joker? Holden? Yeah. No relation to friend of the pod Chris Holden, by the way. You don't know that? Pretty sure. Was also not on the dead zone, but he was on seven days. Close enough. Yeah. In my heart at least. Is that that movie with Harrison Ford? You're thinking seven uh six days, seven nights with Harrison Ford and I think Anne Heche. Yeah. Oh, what's seven days? It was a UPN show that ran for three years where they have a time machine that goes back seven days. So the whole premise is something happens and they send their chrononaut as played by, um, I can't remember the act. I I can't remember the actor's name right now. So they send their chrononaut back in time, seven days with the knowledge of what's going to happen. But obviously, no one else within the agency does. So he has to call in and be like, so hey, here's this thing that's going to happen. I need all the information that you can possibly come up with in the next six days to stop it. Actually, sounds pretty good. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it a lot. It's super campy and weird. And it's impossible to watch now. Oh. Yes. It never had a DVD release. It's not available for streaming or purchased digitally anywhere. The, like Your only hope is to find it on the back of a truck. So Flash Gordon reveals himself. Ah. Uh. Yes. He's the defender of the universe. Uh-huh. Indeed. Except not right now. No, he, right now he's the bounty hunter of the universe. Mm. Mm. And he asks Dr. Jackson to tend to his wound. It's like, but I'm an archaeologist. But you're also a doctor. Of archaeology. I feel like a joke similar to that was made on another episode in season three. I had a weird sense of deja vu at that scene. Okay. <sighs> So that's probably uh, why. Yeah. So you know how you know how Stuart and I are nonstop references to everything. Yes, just all the time. This is one of the things we reference. Okay. So then he asks Captain Carter. Actually, I'm a major now. Oh, well, how very important! I'll inform the galaxy uh, to help out since obviously she's had medical training. I guess maybe he thinks that. I mean, we can either chalk this up to writer room sexism or he would just assume that carter is less of a threat than anyone else in the room next to obviously daniel jackson who's always who is only worth a day's rations <laughs> it's probably that which admittedly if he thinks that she's less of a threat that is because of sexism but yes 
I forget, does Major Carter, does she have a PhD as well? Yes. Yes, I think she has more than one. Probably. I'm sure she's got like eight of them or something. You know how these shows go. Yeah. When we first are introduced to Dr. Samantha Carter, she corrects us. She, she corrects to say that she is Captain Samantha Carter, because when she's in uniform, the rank comes first. So then for like the next couple episodes, she's Captain Dr. Samantha Carter. <laughs> yes. Oh, so I have a question. How was the bounty hunter injured? Was it on his approach to Keltar's cave, or...? Yes, he, he told us That's that a, a little bit later, yeah. Yeah, well, it said he got shot at from multiple different directions. I, I specifically listened for it on the second watch, and I don't recall it him actually saying, like, yeah, I was hit. So I, I just kind of assumed that's what happened? I was assuming the same. One thing that I didn't catch him saying was, like, he then later says that if SG-1 helps him capture Keltar, he'll let them all go, because... As he, as I've told you before, I wasn't expecting to capture you here. And it's like, when? When did you ca- like? When did you tell us that SG One was a bonus? Like, did did I miss that? Like in the intro? Yeah, he didn't twice say it before. <laughs> I mean, I've missed stuff twice before. I've even missed. I've even on occasion missed things three times. Whew. Yeah, I. That was one of the things I I missed on the first watch through as well. Like, I I, I apparently I really did miss a lot um, because. First time through, is like, I, I could barely follow the plot. It's like, I, f- I feel like I missed a lot of key things here. Like, why is he letting them go? Why is he helping them? Like, why are they helping him? I'm confused. Why didn't... Why didn't he just say, hey, SG-1, I hunt goulds. You hunt goulds. Wanna help? Oh, yeah. since he was gonna let him go anyway. Yeah. Well, he does basically say that, you know. I hate, you know, you hate the gould. I hate the gould. Everybody hates the gould. Although he pronounces it Goa'ulds. Well, that's, you know, how they're supposed to yeah. be anyway. Even even the Gould hate the Gould. Mmm. Between themselves and the Tokra. Yeah, which is why he's so surprised later when he comes across this Gould who's willing to kill himself to not, you know, give up information on other Goulds, as he sees it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think just after he tells us that he's told us something before, even though he totally didn't, is when we first get the rundown on what all of SG-1 is worth. Mm. Teal'c being a Shova is worth the most. And then that we have sense. Major Samantha Carter. Thank you very much. She has the memories of Atokra, so therefore... That's right. And Jack is just a major pain in the mikta. That's the neck, neck. right? No. Oh. Yeah, that was... Uh, that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Daniel uh, Jackson, you know, worth a space cheeseburger. Mm. With with space bacon. Alright. All right. And even a space coke, probably. Eh, now, eh, you're pushing it. Yeah, I mean, maybe with a combo. Space, space diet coke? They, they cost the same, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Space house water. <laughs> <laughs> Room temperature. <laughs> It, wouldn't room temperature be absolute zero in space? No, it's never quite absolute zero. Mm. Yeah. Flash Gordon takes Jack and Teal with him and leaves Daniel and Carter locked in the locked in the cargo hold. And Jack asks, "How can they trust him?" And he says, "His word is good on two thousand planets." To which Jack rightly points out that there are billions of planets. See, Jack has an understanding of fundamental statistics. 
Yeah, and like now we're back to Jack caring about space again. Come on, man, make up your I mind. I know, right? <laughs> we just talked. It it just makes us look bad because we just talked last week about how Jack no longer cares about space. Yeah, thanks for making us look bad, Jack. Nineteen no, years ago, seriously. They have the conversation about whether or not they can trust each other, and Flash Gordon hands over a Zat Nicotel, which Jack calls a Zat gun, which confuses Flash Gordon. Which I feel like shouldn't be that confusing. It really shouldn't be. But, you know, this is where we get like, basically like like my favorite line from the episode, probably next to the, you know, the because there's no like solid line between like of, like in the whole like not that kind of doctor conversation. But the, well, that is easier. <laughs> the Nicotel. Yeah. Man, I've been trying to quit Nicotel. <laughs> you know, they make <laughs> Nicotel patches. Ah, I've heard they have Nicotel gum as well. Hmm. But if you put two patches on, you die. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Well, not unless you're Sherlock Holmes, in which case sometimes it's a three Nicotel problem. <laughs> Is that from Elementary? No, from uh, Sherlock. Oh, that's right. That's right. Jack, uh, Jack promptly zats Flash Gordon, obviously. Mm. But Flash Gordon is playing possum. Yes. But first we get a little bit of back and forth between Jack and Daniel. Jack, he disabled the DHD and Sam said we can't fly that ship all the way home. So we'll fly to a closer planet with a Stargate. Good thinking. It happens. Occasionally. Yeah, it's just such good banter, this whole episode. It's amazing. I know. It's still a shame you didn't remember to put the dog out, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we also have Chekhov's drink mix. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's another thing I totally missed on the first watch-through. I guess it's Chekhov's? Like, because the, perp- like, the whole thing behind Chekhov's whatever, especially the gun, is that if you're going to show something, you need to then use it like by the end he's like he's showing it and using it the entire time we get an explanation yeah but it becomes relevant to the plot i guess is what i was like a little with. yeah so they, they go back to the cloaked cargo ship they have a little you know they have a little conversation to recall what the password was they get into the cargo ship they're trying to free sam and teal and what appears to be a self-destruct starts yes I was just going to say, I'm surprised Jack didn't say anything about a cliche. Yeah. Hmm. We know how he feels about those. Oh, strongly dislikes them. Yes. Yeah. Teal'c tells them that there are six buttons on the panel. They have to press the correct combination of five in order to open the door and let them out. And I think it was Jack who asked, well, how many could there be? A lot. The answer is 7,776. Yeah, that won't take too long. No. You just got to want it. (laughs) And yes, the self-destruct starts. They figure out that they are missing a component to turn off the self-destruct. Daniel goes off to find it. And, oh, look, Flash Gordon's there. Because, as you pointed out, that he was playing possum. Yeah, because we saw that earlier. Because his eyes open as soon as they walk away. Yes. Space possums are the most dangerous of all possums. Spossums? Yes. SNASA has been trying to find them for years. Mm, on, on the moon? That was the first place they looked. The countdown finally stops, and nothing happens, and there was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom, but it never came. (laughs) Well, the Illudium Q36 explosive space modulator is notoriously finicky. (laughs) Yes. Nice. Excellent. They set back out after 
uh, exchange there back and forth. Flash Gordon points out that he's immune to the Zats. They tickle, apparently. He wouldn't give Jack a gun that would hurt him. Right. So, all but Sam set back out to capture the Gould Keltar. And we find out that he's protected by Tax, which then Teal tells us what it actually stands for, and I'm not going to try repeating it, because it's, it's a long, complicated word. It is a very long, complicated word. Didn't Jack say something like Technicatil? Yeah, because he assumed. Yeah, he was just hoping. Yeah. Yeah. No, way off. Tax. Technicatils? They throw a flare to flush out the tax, disable the tax really quickly and easily. Like, I was actually... I was impressed with that, yeah. Because it's not like the Zats have sights. Uh. I guess they just... They just know what you're trying to hit. They're magical. I guess, yeah. yeah. The magical swooshy penis guns. <laughs> Speaking of that, did you notice that when they knock out Flash Gordon, or at least think that they did, that... Daniel picks up and continues to carry, like, the big Flash Gordon gun? Yes. Yeah. I'm sure that we have mentioned this before, listeners and Steve, but Michael Shanks, after using the Zat once or twice, like, when it first was introduced, he then, like, promptly just stopped because he felt it was just way too phallic-looking, and... Yeah, and I notice it now. Uh, The first time we talked about this, I'm like, how is that phallic? And it, it, you have to look at just the head. Because, <laughs> yes, no one, or at least I hope, no one's uh, phallus is that, you know, S-shape. But the head... <laughs> yeah. But the... He said that like, one of the other points was that... But Michael Shanks had also said that one of the other points was that... I mean, obviously, like, when they... You know, like, the, the, the effect gets added on later in post... But the gun still, like, makes a little bit of movement and, like, a little bit of noise when it makes the movement. It, it might even have, like, an LED on there, so there's probably, like, a some sort of power source to make it move. It also, like, it makes, like, a weird sort of, like, or whatever noise, like, when you, like, go to fire it, like, the prop. So, like, that just added to everything. I was just like, no, nah, I'm just not, not going to use that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you guys talking about someone... Um... I guess it was Daniel. It's like, it's too ridiculous. I'm not going to use these things. I don't remember it being... Was it really specifically because it was too phallic of a weapon? Yes, yeah. He he has said this um, in at least one, probably multiple, like, quest, like, quest, like Q&As and interviews. Because I guess, like, more eagle-eyed viewers than myself pointed out, like, it. you know, it's weird. I never saw you carry a Zat. And, like, the, like, for almost the entire show, it's like, well, let me tell you why. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. Now I'm only going to be able to... Man, now every time I watch an episode, I'm going to notice the phallic nature of it. Thanks. I, I, You're, you're welcome. welcome. I can never take this show seriously again. You took it seriously before? That was your first mistake. <laughs> After disabling the tax, Teal'c gives a really, like, excellent smoke grenade throw, like, like deep into the cave to flush out the gould. Like, I was, I was, I was impressed with that throw. Mm-hmm. And out comes a coffin gould. Yeah. Who like really seems to be like holding his like holding his neck or throat like way more than he needs to. Yes. I feel like he should have been covering his mouth more, really. Was it a special gas grenade or was it just a smoke grenade? I think it was just a smoked grenade. I can't imagine like why they'd be carrying anything beyond a smoke grenade. Again, also, why was up to this point they thought it was just some ghoul? Yeah. Was no one no one 
I don't know, it's so weird, like, yeah, flew to this planet, then there's this ghoul hiding in this random cave in the middle of nowhere. Like, did I miss an explanation for that? Like, everyone else just was like, alright, yeah, cool, ghoul, hiding in a cave, middle of nowhere. Well, I think he said he had, like, he had, like, followed the ghoul here. I think he did, he mentioned that, and then once the once the guy comes out of the cave, and we find out that it's actually a Tokra named Cora. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yes. He he tells us that you know he had fled from Sokar because he had been he's pretty sure he had been discovered, and he had to get to the closest non gould controlled planet, and obviously Flash Gordon anticipated this maneuver. So that's why the two of them are there. But I think that Flash Gordon had told us that like he had followed the Gould here or trapped him here, whatever. So it wasn't that he was just like, you know, cruising around the galaxy and just having to land on this planet like, oh look, a Gould in a cave. Yeah, that's I got that kind of distinct up to the point where he described it being a Tok'ra, or they figured out it was a Tok'ra, at which point it made sense. But up to that point I was like, really? We just Okay. So alright, I guess I must have missed something. Well, because Flash Gordon doesn't know that it's a Tok'ra. He did, like he was hired like as a bounty hunter to hunt down this bounty. And he doesn't really care. Like it could have been a kid or a dog, as long as it's not John Wick's dog. Oh, not even Flash Gordon would go up against John Wick. Oh my gosh! We cut back to Sam and the bounty hunter talking a bit, and Sam is trying to explain the differences between Gould and Tok'ra, even though, like, she doesn't know about the Tok'ra situation really yet. Um, and also telling him that, hey, you know, like, if we get enough people all helping, we could probably defeat the Gould. And Flash Gordon just laughs. You know, future knowledge. Give them a few years and, yeah, they're, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna solve that problem. Spoilers. Oh. I mean, like, even without telling, like, anything else is going on, like, can you imagine, like, the show ending without them having defeated the Gould? It ran for ten years, man. Like <laughs> the gold are tough. Yeah, it would have been a sudden dark turnaround. Can't be fun to, you know, we lost and the earth is doomed. TV hadn't quite gotten that dark yet. Hmm. Which is good. Yeah, I think that was one of my turnoffs with uh, vague memories of Stargate Universe. Was you know, I, I didn't even finish the whole first season, but it seemed like oh, Stargate, the gritty reboot, great. It was Stargate meets Battlestar Galactica. Basically, yeah. I guess maybe this time around I'll make it to season two, which you guys and many people have said is apparently much, much better. Much, much better. Yeah, it was. Especially the, the second half of season two is amazing. Oh, yeah. We cut back to the cave, and we're getting a little bit more exposition and backstory, both about the Tok'ra and about the bounty hunter where he's addicted to a sub- substance called Rushna, which the Gould have gotten like generations of the Bounty Hunters people addicted to, which I guess makes some amount of sense. Like, that's a thing that can happen, right? Yeah, it's a thing. Why not? And ah. the, the British and the opium, or British and opium in China. Oh, that's true. They get back to where Sam is, and she's been knocked out. And they correctly estimate that it is a trap. So, trap? Trap. They're, what, one for three on this? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so Jack goes up to try to wake Sam, and B- Bok shows up in his ship. Does the cargo ship have guns? Like, so he's hovering nearby, so what? Yeah, I was wondering, how is this threatening? Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think Jet, I don't think SG One has their guns right now, which makes sense. But even if they did, it's not like that can really hurt the cargo ship at all. They could yeah. use some C four. They always have like some squirt away in their pocket somewhere. They used it all up last week. But they always seem to have some squirt away in like all those pockets on their vests anyway, and I kind of feel like maybe the bounty hunter wouldn't recognize it for what it is, even though it, I think it does say explosive on the side. Well, he can speak English. It doesn't mean he can read English. Oh, that's true. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> so anyhow, they end up uh, on the transport ship somehow. Yeah, somehow. And then we find out that everybody's been captured again. Good job, guys. Yes. Ah, uh, yes, Jack. Yeah. And Bach stuns the Tokra before he can kill himself with a poison capsule. Yes. Just before that happened, though, I, like a, a thought had occurred to me, because the Tokra is telling us that he's not going to let himself be handed over to so- uh, to Sokar, because there are other Tokra there, like, still spying on, on Sokar, and Korra knows that he would not, he would break under the torture eventually. Uh-huh. So I got to wondering, do you think the Tok'ra also have spies on Earth? Probably. Because we'd already discussed a few weeks ago about the idea that the Ghoul probably have spies on Earth. And I just, like, I have to imagine the Tok'ra being who they are, that they would spy on their allies as much as they spy on their enemies. Oh, yeah. Everyone spies on everyone. <laughs> yeah. Except the humans don't spy on people. Like, it's or weird. do they? Well, we never get, like, any information, like, at any, like, there, there's no, like info dump at any point from you know like one of our agents secreted away inside I don't know balls ranks or something they always get it handed to them by like a you know free Jaffa sympathizer maybe that's why they don't have spies they let their allies do it for them well couldn't uh, I mean possibly the NID or one of the other the other groups nefarious shadow organizations may or may not have spies in place Oh, no, the NID almost certainly do, but, like, they don't share that information back to the SGC, like, even, like, through channels, so... Mm. They just feel like the SGC and Earth as a whole seems to be more than willing to do as much, like, to do everything else basically on their own. It's like, well, we can't rely on our allies all the time, we better build our own ships. Mmm, that's a good point. But they don't have spies. Not that we know of, maybe they're that good. Ooh, they're such good spies, yeah. Yeah, they're in deep, deep, deep undercover. If you're doing your job right, no one knows you're doing your job at all. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Then I must be doing my job right. (laughs) (laughs) I know, that's the approach we take at the government. (laughs) So, Aris Bach tells him, well, hey, I have what I came for, you're all free to go, I gave you my word. And he's like, he says it in such a way that it's like, are you really surprised that I wouldn't keep my word? It's like, well, you're the ruthless bounty hunter, so yes? <laughs> Teal'c decides to trade himself to save the Tok'ra, which also kind of surprises Arisbach a little bit, but on the other hand, a bounty is a bounty, so he's fine with it. Sure, yeah, why not? Well, I'll tell you why not, and so does R.S. Bach, because he hates the gold almost as much as Teal'c does, and he's really not happy about doing this. Everyone hates the gold. Yeah. Just the worst. They are. It's the little heroes... sequel to Everybody Hates Chris, Everybody Hates Gould. <laughs> Our heroes, Sans Teal'c, are wandering back through the woods to head back to the Stargate, and you can see the 
cargo ship fly away in the background, and then it explodes. And then the explosion. Yes. <laughs> Why are there escape pods? That's a good question. Why does the cargo ship have escape pods? Why not? Like, especially pods, plural. Like, I could see a scenario where a Gould is like, well, one day maybe I'll be on board a cargo ship and I will want to escape. So there better be an escape pod for me. But why are there multiple escape pods? Because the Gould don't care about human life. Or Jafal life. Sure. Non-Gould life. Could have been another upgrade package that he installed custom. Um... <laughs> That's true. But why would Bach need multiple escape pods? You never know. I mean, if your bounty has to survive, too. Sometimes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's not always dead or alive. I suppose that's true. Despite what Bon Jovi would have you think. Or Robocop. Ooh, that's true. Robocop is always right. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) So the episode wraps up with Bach handing over a vial of, I assume that's his blood or something, except we saw him bleed earlier and it was bright green. No, it was the blue stuff. It was the Rushna? Yeah. He's like hoping that Carter will come up with a solution for oh okay so i yeah yeah i'd assumed it was the blood thing because like when they were talking before about hey you know if your people are immune to being taken as hosts that could be invaluable to the rest of the people of the galaxy that'd be great if only we could study you like she Uh... doesn't know she doesn't know about the addiction at this point so it's like weird that he hands over a thing to like cure the addiction and not save everyone else in the galaxy i mean not that weird from like a, you know, ruthless bounty hunter perspective, but... Right. Yeah. It's odd. But that does make a whole... Like, I didn't even, like, connect the idea... Like, I was so stuck on the, like, thinking that it was blood, confused as to why it was blue and not Korean. I didn't even, like, jump to the idea that, oh, yeah, duh, it's Rushna. I didn't... That was another thing I didn't catch till the second watch through. I, I must have just been totally zoned out that first time. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> In our last moment, Flash Gordon gets a teal nod of respect. That doesn't happen to just anybody. It does not. So do either of you guys have any other uh, final notes? Um, I have that Jack calls uh, the Tokra Kevlar. Um, yep. Oh, when Bach first shows up and he says, perhaps you've heard of me, I kind of got like, it, it kind of made me think of Star-Lord. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or a Knight's Tale. Chaucer? Ah, yes. Jeffrey Chaucer. I wrote the book of the Duchess. Yeah, although that one subverts it, because obviously the people watching it had heard of him. Yes. Any final notes for you, Steve? Um, a couple notes. I mean, just some minor things. Go for it. Uh, definitely, so props on their, well, UAV prop. Um, it was pretty accurate. Um, it, I did a little bit of research. It, it wasn't an actual model, as far as I could tell, but it does look like a combination of two, two real-life UAVs. Um, so I definitely gave him props for pretty accurate, you know, depiction of what UAVs were about that time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I guess I'm just gonna have to get over it, because it's in almost every episode of Stargate. But just kind of the, oh, well, we lost a UAV to, uh, to Gould Fire, I guess we should just kind of wander through the forest with four people, only one of whom's even kind of paying attention to the surroundings, and, like, that sort of thing just keeps happening. You would think, like, oh, we knew we lost the UAV to hostile fire. Maybe we should send more than a four-man general purpose team 
and have maybe more than two of them be kind of combat-focused. General purpose team? And they kind of do that thing a lot, and uh, I don't know. Just kind of... It's not good, OPSEC. It's not even OPSEC, it's just poor patrolling. Ugh. Ugh, he's a colonel, he should know better. It does say colonel on his uniform. Yeah. Not in this reality. That's true. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. The mirror universe. But that was really it. I know they have to have their plot contrivances. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I pretty much went through all my stuff. Uh, all in all, it was a fun episode. Like, as we discussed earlier, it's just sort of like a quintessential SG-1 episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, got some good laughs out of it. Um, it definitely, like I said, since I watched that episode, I've been moving right on through season three. Um, so it was definitely enough to kind of jumpstart a rewatch for me. Thanks. Our work here is done. <laughs> like, on the topic of, like, the little things that SG-1 repeatedly kind of gets wrong, like not sending enough people out into the woods to recover UAV, or the UAV being slightly not completely correct, I mean, every show has its demons. Yep. Yeah. Conveniently, demons is what we'll be talking about next week. I did actually skip that one. I made it about five minutes in, and just did not seem like it was off to a good start. I don't remember. I I don't remember much about it. So I'm hoping it's uh gets better at minute six, since I'll be watching all of it twice. Ooh, all for you, listeners. <laughs> the sacrifices you make. Indeed. In the meantime, thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Delta Flyer. You can find and review both of our podcasts on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, stargateweekly at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. I am not on Twitter. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Stargate Weekly. And that's our show. Yeah. Yeah.